open up the word as to what it says about the Beatitudes. And when I was given this, I thought, I have one Sunday and this scripture, you could go months, at least a couple of months, going through each one of the Beatitudes, uh, one uh, per week, so you could have two months easy of just going through that. And I thought, how am I going to uh, teach this in one week? Actually, one hour. So um, I began to pray about it. And uh, that's always a great place to start, I think, anyway, when you're going to bring the Word of God. And uh, uh, God gave me some help through uh, some words from other preachers and then uh, just helped me to get my mind around this. Uh, So hopefully this morning we will see it from a, uh, a bigger perspective out of the totality of uh, the Gospels, hopefully, uh, somewhat. Uh, and then we're going to take that vision from the from the Gospels and bring it down to the uh, uh, Beatitudes themselves, and uh, and then see how that uh, how it should be understood, and then how it should apply to our lives. So. Uh, First, we need to look at it uh, with these questions in mind. Uh, you know, what are the Beatitudes? Uh, are they conditions that we need to meet in order uh, to inherit eternal life? Or do they just celebrate, are they something that celebrates the power of God in the life of the disciples? Or is it both? Uh, and just how do we know this? Well, we'll start by looking at the Beatitudes in the context of the book of Matthew. And it's always important to get Scripture in context so you'll know uh, what it's trying to tell us. And so uh, if we look at it in the context of Jesus' ministry specifically out of the book of Matthew, if you look look at Matthew 4.23, this is a summary statement of Jesus' ministry or his earthly ministry. And it says, And when he he went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infirmity among the people. So Jesus made it his ministry to preach the coming of the kingdom, teach the way of the kingdom, and then demonstrate the power of the kingdom by healing and, uh, and miracles. So you can narrow it down to just saying that uh, it's a preaching, teaching, healing ministry. Uh, now if we look at, uh, so that's in uh, Matthew 4. If we look at Matthew 9, 35, it says, uh, here we find almost the same statement. Uh, it's uh, a, a summary of Jesus' ministry. Again, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and, and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and infirmity. So you have the two, two statements on either side. And when you see something like that, it needs to perk your your interest, you need to start thinking, well, why are these two statements almost virtually the same? What's it trying to show us? Well, usually it's it's like a sandwich. You have the two pieces of bread, and what's in between gives you the meat of what it's talking about. Meat and cheese, maybe. And so uh, uh, when we get our interest peaked and start looking at that, what are the two slices that are in between there? 
Well, uh, there's you got nine, uh, five, four to nine. You got uh, five chapters, and so the first slice would be chapter five through seven, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and this uh, is uh, one of the uh, best, I think, recorded. Uh, sermons that Jesus did is more more involved than any other it's the longest uh, one of the longest dissertations uh, in the Bible of Jesus speaking and uh, so uh, within it he presents the teaching of the way of the kingdom uh, and uh, what it's what kingdom life looks like and then you know your other slice is in eight and nine and that shows Jesus performing the healings and the miracles, and he's demonstrating the power of the kingdom. Uh, so Matthew takes five chapters to get across his point to the readers of uh, the meaning and the mystery of, of Jesus' uh, ministry. Uh, you know, if we, we don't understand the meaning of... Uh, uh, and we want to understand the mystery uh, of what Jesus was doing uh, and what Jesus was doing, and uh, and it, Matthew is trying to address and just explain in this, this section of scripture how Jesus did his ministry. So he gives us a, a picture of Jesus, uh, a snapshot, as, as it were, of Jesus' ministry in this world. Uh, and uh, we'll understand it better as we start to take it apart. Uh, you know, you can't have uh, a good point here is when you start looking at Jesus in his ministry of the word and then and the ministry of what kingdom life is like and then his demonstration of power because that was his, his ministry here on earth, uh, People want to tear it, take that apart and say, well, I like his ministry of the word. I love that. Uh, and I'm on board with that. He's got great principles here. He's got uh, things that I need to apply to my life and live by. And, uh, you know, there are people that have, throughout history have, have done that. I think Albert Schweitzer was one of them. He, he loved the, the moral principles that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. He was all for that. But... He was a scientist, and he didn't want to go with the miraculous healings of Jesus and the and the miracles that he did. He says, "You know, science is going to take care of that." I don't, I don't, I think that was a bunch of garbage. And uh, you can't separate it. the Jesus that taught the way of the kingdom and gave us these principles to live by, and principles that should be dominant in our life, is also the Jesus that that. Uh, had the power to do miraculous things and then there's people that take the other end of the spectrum and they say I'm, I'm charismatic I love the, the miracles I love the healings and all and all that but Jesus don't get in my life with all these uh, principles and ethics that you have that I need to go by like uh, you know don't call your brother a fool or don't lust or don't swear uh, don't uh, res return evil for evil uh, and you love your enemy. You know, when you start saying, I, I don't get divorced and that kind of thing, you're uh, kind of 
stepping into my life now, and I, I don't need you to be messing with my life. I like with all these miracle things you do, but don't, don't tell me how to live. So you, but what the, the point is here that if we come to Jesus and accept him, we have to accept him for all of who he is. He's, he, yes, he does uh, perform miracles. He did perform miracles. He is still in the miracle performing uh, 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 life because he does change people's lives even today. But we also have to take his word and, his, his, uh, and understand it and see that it's applied in our life. So how do we do this? Uh, uh, it's all done in our lives, and Matthew is pointing to this when, he, when he's showing us this in the Sermon on the Mount, that the same Lord that calls us to follow him through life and depend on him, and, and it, Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount that he is the same Lord that calls us to follow him and then depend on him for his power to uh, work this out in our life. Uh, so his personal work and power are inseparable from his teachings. And so this is just to get us kind of ramped up for what the Beatitudes are, are about. So if we, we look in the scripture there in uh, Matthew 5, and that's pretty much where we're going to be, so if you'll just keep your Bible there, uh, that'll, we'll jump around some other things, but uh, we'll be coming back to this mostly. Uh, we see uh, how the Beatitudes apply to what we're, we're talking about. Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying. So we got two, two groups of people. we got the crowds, and we got the disciples. Who is Jesus teaching? Uh, it says clearly here he's teaching the disciples. So well, what about the crowds? What were, the, what were they? Well, uh, was he teaching the crowds? Mm, yes. Because if you look at Matthew seven twenty-eight, it says, And when he had finished, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And he taught them as one who had authority, not as a scribe. So, yes, Jesus was specifically teaching the disciples, but he was also teaching the crowds. And this is an um, important point. And it's, it's something that we should always be doing individually as we work with other people and teach the Word of God or even speak the Word of God. But it's also something we should do here in our church. As we preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God, we do that in order to feed and prepare and strengthen and inspire the worship of our people in our fellowship. And uh, that's, that's the purpose of, of what we're doing. But there's a second purpose. And the second purpose is there are people that come that will be curious, that will stumble into possibly our worship, that will uh, actually be skeptics coming to listen. And it could be not just here, but when you're out in the world. And we shouldn't hold back on 
on sharing what uh, God's work in our life should look is looking like because what that does is it piques the interest of those people that are hearing that are on the outside. So you it's you have two groups of people. You've got the the inner circle, which are the disciples, the people that are followers of Christ, and then you have a, a concentric circle outside of that, which is the crowds, the ones that are listening in, but they're not part of the uh, part of the group. And so we should always be aware of those people. Also, we should be pointed at who we're what we're teaching and how we're teaching it and to whom we're teaching, but we should also be aware that it's going to have effect on the others. So uh, that's a, a important point here and what Jesus was doing in this because he didn't, if he'd wanted just to teach the disciples, he could have taken them away somewhere, but he was making, making sure that the crowds heard it also, and we'll talk about the effect of that in a minute. So the sermon begins... Uh, and the disciples were at his feet, and the crowds were listening in. And so how does he begin? He begins with pronouncing blessings. Uh, and uh, that's what the Beatitudes are. They're just blessings. Uh, the word for Beatitude is makarios, which means blessed or fortunate. And uh, uh, it really comes from a root word, makario, which uh, was written about in Greek literature uh, by several authors that talked about it being a quality of the Greek gods. It, uh, it was, they had happiness that was within themselves. It wasn't dependent on happenstance or a circumstance. Uh, it was just innate to their being. And uh, uh, it was an inward bliss unaffected by outward circumstance. So that gives us a little deeper insight to what what he's talking about so if we look at the uh the scripture there uh we see that there are eight uh, if you count the times as blessed is there it's nine times but i i think it's only really truly eight uh beatitudes and i'll give you the reasons why number one uh the first reason is if you look in uh verse uh uh the last beatitude or the last time it says blessed it says blessed are you when men uh, revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely uh, that one is directed at you where the others are blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn blessed are the meek blessed are those so it's not a pointed or personal uh, uh blessing as it's as it were i think it's just a restatement of of the eighth uh uh beatitude because that one says blessed are those who are persecuted and then it says blessed are you and he's specifically saying that, you know this is just a restatement because when this happens to you this is what you you're going to know you're blessed so uh, that's why I, one reason i bring it down to there's eight beatitudes uh and another reason is if you look at verses 3 and verse 10, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you look at the verse uh, 8, uh, or verse 10, I mean, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you have two 
consequences of the blessing that he's given that theirs is the kingdom of heaven and in between those two where you are given the kingdom of heaven or yours it says that you will ha you have the kingdom of heaven you have six uh blessings that are in between there and uh so that's a that's another reason i think because uh, matthew has this habit of sandwiching things we already saw how he sandwiched the ministry of Jesus in in these chapters here, and uh, and so uh, I think he's sandwiching these in here to show us that these are the beatitudes, and you know that's uh, I don't know that it makes that much difference, but it kind of helps uh, when you're thinking about the beatitudes. Another thing that uh, 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 kind of adds to what this pattern means is, uh, and this helps us to understand the how it should, what it should mean to us is uh, if you look at the, there's six promises sandwiched in between two assurances. We're assured that we have the kingdom of heaven uh, and then in between that we have these blessings that say uh, you're blessed and you're, and uh, are your, these blessings are yours that you'll be comforted, you'll have the You'll be owners of the earth. You're satisfied with righteousness. You'll have mercy. You have a vision of God. And you have this awesome title as being a son of God. Uh, and really there's no picking or choosing there. It's just saying if you're in the kingdom, these things are yours. And that is a, that's a blessing for sure. Uh, and a good way of saying it is we are fortunate to be in that category uh, and so uh, there's another implication uh, in that when we look at the fact that the first and the last are assurances and it's in the present tense and then the six in the middle six blessings in the middle they are future tense so uh Uh, we are in there is a kingdom and those people are in it that uh, are poor in spirit and those that are persecuted for righteousness sake and then uh, then we uh, then that is a given we are in the kingdom but then we will be uh, comforted and we shall inherit the earth and so on so those are the uh, future tense so to put it simply Jesus is saying the kingdom is present with the disciples now but the full blessing of the kingdom is something we're going to have to wait for and it's coming in the age it will be in the age to come uh, Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth in his own kingly power and, and fellowship and uh, and we have a foretaste of it here and now, but the full experience of the kingdom we'll have to wait on till till uh, till the age to come. And uh, this can be can be seen in the uh, in the Beatitudes. There's some examples like in uh, uh, verse four it says, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted." Well. Are we completely comforted now? No. Uh, Revelations 
uh, 21.4 says, God will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more and there shall be no more crying or pain. So we see that the, the fullness of that comfort won't come until uh, the end of the age. But if you look at Matthew 5, 11, and 12, it says, Blessed are men when... Or blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Uh, it's, it tells us we can rejoice now. Now, we can't rejoice fully or completely, but we do have a, a something we can rejoice about because we truly have something that no one else has. And uh, we're part of God's kingdom, so when you realize that you are part of God's kingdom, you have a reason to rejoice even when things aren't going your way. Uh, and, uh, and you realize that there's more to come out there, so that's a reason for rejoicing. So uh, uh, another example would be uh, in verse 7, and it says, And that they shall be called sons of God. And that's a, a place for probably an amen there. Uh, in Romans 8, thank you. <laughs> in Romans 8, 20, 23, it, says, it, it talks about this future promise. It says, uh, the future promise will be fulfilled. We will groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption of sons. Uh, so that just is a restatement that this is future. Uh, they shall be called sons of God. But if you look in Matthew five sixteen. Uh, it says, "Let your light so shine before men that you may see your God, your, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven." So, yeah, it is a future promise, but we do have, uh, we do know that we're sons here and now on earth. So, uh, it's not just just a future promise, but it's a a promise that we have some of now, but the fulfillment will be in the future. And so, uh, and we won't see the fullness of it till we're with our Father in glory. Uh, so these examples show us that the promises are present and future. It's not either, but it's both. And so, uh, and one of the most important lessons that we can learn from the Beatitudes uh, can be seen when we start looking at uh, verse 7 and it's, I'm just taking this out because it is such a, a clear example of, hopefully I'll make it a clear example of what I'm talking about when we look at uh, uh, verse 7 it says uh, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy and uh, we need to look at it in the light that these blessings are, yes they're, they are uh future blessings but they're also present blessings and if we get that mixed up we're going to mess up our interpretation of the scripture and, and that's uh and i'll sh talk about that in just a second uh if you just took this verse out of context and a lot of people like these ethical teachings and they want to take them out of context and say all right if we live by this verse then this is going to happen uh, like if you just take this verse and, and read it blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy it sounds like if we show mercy here on earth we're going to get mercy in heaven what is that 
That's working for your salvation. That doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, not in the light of the gospel. So if you start taking verses like this and trying to use them to form your lifestyle from within yourself, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Uh, and so uh, we had to be sure that we don't fall into that uh, trap of doing things like that. Uh, you know, if I just show mercy now, I'm going to get mercy later. Well, that's, that is a principle from the Bible that you, you reap what you sow. So how do, we, how do we figure all this out? When we realize that our becoming merciful is a blessing from the kingdom that we have now because we've been shown mercy and it's become part of our life and it's starting to change our life and then we'll see uh, it multiplied when we finally get to heaven it puts a whole different light on the way you look at the scripture and it, it's not just here in the Beatitudes but we need to take this to the fullness of the scripture if we take scriptures like this and start using them the way that I just said where yeah you have to do this and you're going to get a result from it because you've done this you've just turned the gospel into a legalistic uh, format yeah so what you do is you've got three quarters of the, or two thirds of the bible that are rules and regulations that you have to live by and then you have a, the other third or quarter of the Bible that's, that's the gospel and you've just separated what Christ was doing you know before you know he came with the word and with the power and you know if we don't have the power of the word working and changing us then we're going to have our power and then a false gospel Does that makes sense we got to be careful not to do that and so uh uh this mercy of the kingdom is already at work in us and it's in the world uh, Matthew 13 47 through 50 uh, is the scripture on uh, God pulling the dragnet uh, and gathering people for the kingdom dragnet is a big fishing net that they would throw out and run it around and then they just start pulling in it's what the disciples used when they were fishing uh, and they pull in and they just have so many fish that their boat would sink the thing but this is what God is doing when he's gathering people for the kingdom. He's out there doing that. And uh, he's drawing people to himself. God's doing the work. It's, and uh, he's drawing people. Remember John six forty four says, No one can come, to the, come unless the Father draws him to me. So uh, God does the drawing. And, in six, and John six sixty five says, No one can come to me unless the Father is granted or is granted to him by the Father. So nobody is comes unless they're drawn or unless it's granted for them to come. And so, see, that's where this mercy is starts in, for the kingdom. It starts with God doing the work. Uh, God has to draw people. He has to open their eyes. Remember when Peter uh, gave his confession of who Jesus was? And, and he confessed Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus said to him, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Only God is going to reveal truth to us. And uh, 
we need to grasp this principle and make it part of our being that God has drawn us and placed us in the kingdom and has started changing us and will continue to change us until he takes us to glory. And we just need to get on board with what he's doing. Uh, and so the Beatitudes are an announcement of, of how fortunate people are who, are who already possess the power of the kingdom. Uh, and you could just say, fortunate are the poor in spirit. Fortunate are those who mourn. We're fortunate to be part of what God is doing in this world. Uh, and uh, blessed and fortunate are you who have the power and the future promises. And those for the pleasures of living forever with God. Uh, but, you know, it's not uh, for all the people. There was a crowd there, right? And uh, some of the uh, Beatitudes were an invitation. Uh, for some, the Beatitudes were an invitation for them to become uh, the kind of person that he's talking about, that's being blessed. So that's why Jesus didn't take the disciples away. He wanted them to hear. He wanted the crowd to hear what he was saying, because he wanted it to pique their interest in what was going on in the kingdom. And uh, we should always be willing to share. We don't need to cast our pearls before swine, so to speak. But we need to be willing to, as we're sharing, let other people hear, so that maybe God will use it to pique their interest. And uh, what's going on? Uh, there's a parable that Jesus gave in Matthew 22, 11 through 14. Uh, and it's about the wedding feast where he had invited all these people and nobody was showing up. So he said, go, go out to the, the highways and byways, the hedges, and invite everybody you can. And, and within this, he talks about how they came, the, the second group came to the wedding feast and uh, he finds somebody that, that sneaks into the wedding feast that doesn't have a wedding garment. Apparently, uh, back in the day when you were uh, invited to a wedding, they would, uh, especially I guess if somebody was, didn't have the money, which would be the highways and byways people, which kind of like that's us, isn't it? <laughs> uh, they would provide them with the wedding garment to wear. And he, uh, during the uh, wedding feast, they notice somebody that's in there that doesn't have on the wedding garment, and they kick them out. Well, these beatitudes are what we have in the kingdom, and they're just a picture of that wedding garment that's given to us. And uh, so uh, the people that are, on, that are in the crowd are hearing the disciples being told that you're blessed because of this, you're blessed because of that, and they're saying, well, I'm not blessed like that. So he's giving, he's, he's just comment, complimenting them on their wedding garment, and the ones on the outside are listening to it. And there's going to be some of them that say, you know, that sounds pretty good. I don't have that. You know, I, I don't but it's looking pretty good to me. I, you know, I, I got in, I came up here and heard, heard this guy talking about this. Didn't think much of it, but it's starting to sound pretty good to me now. So those are the people that God is giving them some 
desire for that wedding garment, for to have that blessing that's going to the disciples. Now, the other others that say, you know, weddings are a drag to me. I don't care anything about going to that. I'd rather be downtown on Beale Street, to tell you the truth. Well, if there's if if that happens to be anybody you know, or if it, it's you even, even in fact. Just you need to pray and ask God to open your eyes to your need, and uh, and uh, that's that's our desire is for for people and God to open their eyes. So uh, we have some. We see the the beatitudes here as uh, a celebration for the disciples. They're celebrating what they have being part of the kingdom and we should be celebrating as as disciples of Christ of what we have being part of the kingdom uh, we have a present power that's working in our life it's changing us we're not there yet but he's working on us and getting us uh, more like him every day uh, and one day we'll be glorified and be like him so we, we're excited about that and uh then it's a word of so it's a word of a blessing, a word of celebration for those who ha- are in the kingdom. But it also, it's words of invitation for the crowds, the ones that are saying, "You know, that's something I, I, I'm interested in." Uh, and then it's words of condemnation for those who turn away. Uh, And uh, how? What does this mean for all of us here today? Well, if if uh, if we see our condition as poor in spirit, uh, and that ours is and theirs is the kingdom of heaven, if we're in, we should be excited, and we should be uh, uh, applying this lifestyle to us. Uh, and then it, it might be a, an invitation to those who are saying, you know, I really don't feel these blessings, but I'd love to. So uh, if, that's, if that's you, then it should be a, uh, a, an invitation for you to, to come to God and ask him to uh, change you and, uh, and make you like, uh, like these disciples. And then uh, uh, we see here in 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 the blessing, in the first blessing, it says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." This tells us that the really the only uh, condition that needs to be met on our part. Is that we need to realize that we that we're poor in spirit. We have nothing, absolutely nothing, to offer to be part of this transforming kingdom. Uh, and uh, in other words, in order to be have any dealings with God, we have to be spiritually bankrupt. And really, that's 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 the first condition that that uh, that has to be met.
And really, this is the easiest and hardest condition of all. Because uh, what's easier than having an empty hand? I mean, you have nothing. Well, of course, unless you're holding on to a $1,000 bill. Or you're holding on to a bill of rights. I can't let go of that. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, desire to uh, be transformed by your word. And we're thankful for, for your word coming to us and you uh, opening our eyes to it and transforming us day by day throughout this life. Father, I, I pray for, the, for any here that uh, may not uh, have come to you uh, with an open hand, realizing that uh, they have nothing to offer but desiring to be part of your kingdom. I pray that you will open their eyes, change their heart, illuminate them to realize that they they need you and uh, they have nothing to, to give if they are holding on to a bill of rights and their lives Lord help them to let go of it for us that uh, do follow you help us to hold lightly to what the things that you've given us so that we may be good servants in your kingdom I ask this in Jesus name Amen.